November 1963, the first episode of Doctor Who was broadcast. Little did people know that on that evening, a television legend was born. And now, 50 years and 11 Doctors later, Doctor Who will celebrate its half-century in November 2013. And already, social media, bloggers, forums and podcasters have already begun those celebrations. But why has this show survived, and how has a little British sci-fi show about a man who travels through time and space in a battered blue police box, once famous for its wobbly sets, cheap special effects, and occasionally hammy acting, become the global sensation that it is today? In an occasional series of interviews, I'll be talking to fans, bloggers and podcasters, and try to find out what they love and hate about the show, what their favourite memories are, and ask why has this show about a madman in a box survived for so long. My guest this week is Warren Fry from Radio Free Scaro. Welcome to the show, Warren. Hello. Glad to have you with us. Um, now, usually I sort of kick off by asking, you know, um, how people got into Doctor Who, but I think that there's been one question I've sort of been dying to ask um, someone, mm-hmm. and that's really... Um, Throughout sort of like since sort of like the home gaming uh, sort of aspect took off, do you, what do you think there's never been a sort of like even a halfway decent Doctor Who game for a, well, you con- know the, for a console PC or whatever? The adventure games were the closest we got. And they those were, were, yeah. They weren't too bad. I mean, for free, they were pretty good, actually. But mm. I don't know. Back in the day, you really couldn't express anything with the rich depth of Doctor Who in terms of a game. Uh, and then they just kind of moved in a direction where a guy who doesn't carry a gun and uses his brain doesn't really fit what you play a game for. Because really, in most games now, the controller is a gun. Really, your character is a gun. And that's kind of completely anathema to a Doctor Who game, right? So that would be my guess. I think so. I don't know if it's... I know with the... uh, Was it the Eternity Clock? I don't know if you ever uh, Uh, played that. You know, the funny thing is I never played it. I interviewed the guy who created... Or one of the guys who created it. Uh, So I... Dude, I know a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, but I don't actually—I never played the game, so I couldn't tell you how good it was. Well, I—I um, I mean, I sort of sort of did a, a sort of a brief um, review of it myself, and what, what it seemed to to me it just—they can't seem to capture what the Doctor is about. Hmm. The games, the adventure games, seemed the closest. They did, um, but with the um, sort of Eternity Clock, it was like a two D platformer. That's mm-hmm. the best way to describe it, which was totally wider than Mark. Um, but as you say, we tried it with the Wii. We've you know where they tried it with the trying to generate a bit more excitement with the uh, the Sonic screwdriver re- game remote mm-hmm. and everything. Um, but obviously the graphics side of things let that down, and the actual content of the game sort of let that down as well. Um, so ha- is there any sort of way you you would see to be able to sort of move away from as you say using the controller as a gun? Because there well, are I think, because there I are think plenty the- of adventure games out there, aren't there? 
the best the best thing and it's not going to happen but if they ever made a lego doctor who game because the lego the lego game approach is perfect because it's it totally fits with the sort of tone of the show you know yeah. it's it, and it's perfectly suitable for kids so you know if he uses a sonic screwdriver he can break stuff and then build it and all that makes sense they'll never do it because they don't have a lego license for doctor who but if you took that approach mm. that to me would make the most sense and make it you know the lego games are kind of unique in that they're kind of kid games but they're also games an adult can play so yeah. and I and I myself and Stephen both play them pretty uh, religiously. So same here. So I've got yeah. them all. So <laughs> yeah, they're fantastic games. Like they're brilliant, and, and they're, they're they're just challenging enough. You know what I mean? Exactly. Also, that, I, can, I can I can tell you they're a great game when you got a hangover. <laughs> I never tried that to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So um, anyway, moving on from from that then. Um, so how did you get into Doctor? I'm obviously as I've spoken to Stephen and uh, Chris as well. It's through public, um, yeah, sort of public television. Exact same thing. I yeah. saw, just came across it on when I, I don't know, twelve years old on on PBS, our local, well, our local. The way it worked is in Canada, there was a quote unquote local PBS to the south of us in Spokane, Washington, hmm. and they had actually more interest from people in Edmonton and Calgary than from anywhere in Washington itself. Like most of their pledge money, because they would do a thing where they would. I don't know if anybody in England's familiar with this, but the way it would work is twice a year they would interrupt all their programs with "Please give us money." And yeah. uh, and people would because they liked what was on there because at the time that was the only way you get British programming. There'd be the odd thing on CBC, but that was about it. Yeah. Um, so that's why we would send money. That's why I sent a hundred bucks a year at age thirteen <laughs> down, <laughs> down to down down to these guys purely for Doctor Who and Red Dwarf and whatever else they would throw at me. Yeah. Um, so that's how we got into it is through PBS, uh, this American TV station that catered more or less to us in a weird twist of fate. So, but everything was shown out of order, though, was it? Because one week you could be watching John Pert, with the next week you could be watching Colin Baker for no, 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 um, no, not on, not on that channel. I mean, it really varied station to station, right? Um, yeah. All over the US, and there were other stations that would show it. But no, they consistently showed Tom Baker's run, and then they would just go back and do Tom Baker's run again because that's all they had. And then Peter Davison, and then they would kind of start it all over again. So you go Baker Davison Baker. Baker Davison, Baker uh, McCoy, and and then it, and then eventually they'd go back to Pertwee. So you would see Pertwee out of order. Yeah, um, but basically but, you could pretty much recite them word for word. Come the end, though. Oh yeah, like I've yeah. seen the Baker so many. It's ridiculous how many times I've seen him. <laughs> and to be honest, the Pertwee ones too. But you know, just a process of attrition. Thirty odd years later. It's, <laughs> <laughs> so who was your sort of your first Doctor or your first episode that you saw? It was actually Tom Baker, a robot. Oh, weirdly well. enough. So, <laughs> so I, so I was like, "Who's this guy? He's crazy." I, I think I, I think I love him <laughs> in a completely platonic way. But really, like you, you're used to watching stuff like Battlestar Galactica or Star Wars, where you got some guy running around with a gun, and this is the complete antithesis of that. And also, in terms of effects, it is so. And when you see those effects, you're either going to go one way or the other. You're going to go, "Oh, that's terrible," or "I'm on board." And I was like, "Wow, these effects are awful. <laughs> Great." <laughs> Well, this is the thing that constantly amazes me because um, sort of like the late 70s, early 80s in the UK at least, we were being wowed by all these glossy American shows. Mm. And it's a constant source of surprise to me that the amount of North Americans love Doctor Who. Um, and it's not just the news series. They, you know, they first got, like yourselves, got exposed to it through public mm. television. And it was the old, you know, the old now termed classic series, but it's the old wobbly set stuff and mm. rubber monsters. Um what, I mean, what is it about it that appealed to you that sort of made you think, okay, this is just as good as, say, Battlestar Galactica or Star Wars? 
thought it was better. But um, just because you've got a guy who's getting by on, on his wits, right? And you yeah. just don't see that much. I mean, now I guess you do. Like, honestly, when you think about it, and I just thought about this, Breaking Bad is basically <laughs> it's basically the story of the Villiard. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but most of the time, especially at that time, you know, you, you, it was either the fall guy comes in and beats a guy up in a warehouse, the end, until next week. Yeah. Uh, or out of nowhere, you see this, you know, clever guy running around in a you just get concept after concept you're never going to see in American TV. Like, clever guy runs around, doesn't use a gun. It's basically all about um, witty writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the effects are terrible, so that's, that's something he adds. So he, then, and then he runs into this spaceship that's bigger on the inside and the outside. You're like, man, my head is stuffed with ridiculousness. What, what's going on here? I've got to keep watching and find out. <laughs> well, the other thing as well, um, I've found that Doctor Who, the old series, for me anyway, it, doesn't, it hasn't dated say, like something like, you know, Buck Rogers in the 25th century or, or as we already said, Battlestar Galactica. Or even Blake 7. Like, Blake 7 looks dated. It and does. It's weird because it kind of looks just like Doctor Who, but for whatever reason, it just looks more dated. I don't know why. Do you think it's more to do with the, um, sort of what, what they were trying to reflect? Because I remember there's one particular episode, I think it was the, the pilot episode of Buck Rogers, uh, where he introduces uh, Princess Ardala to Disco. Oh, oh Princess Ardala. I have, I have a special place in my heart for Princess Ardala. Oh, yes, right now. yes. <laughs> yes, one of my boyhood With the bikini crushes, and the was... water buffalo hat, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that, that's the kind of thing that they would do on Buck Rogers. Battlestar Galactica, not so much, but the hairstyles and all the rest of it. Although you could make the argument that you'd see that. But every week in Doctor, they go somewhere new and different, so you just kind of cut a little slack. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy's got a crazy hairstyle. He's also got a bunch of crap on his face and a jumpsuit. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> And then and next week, there'll be something completely different. So, Whereas Battlestar Galactica is kind of the same thing over and over again, more or less. Well, Although they, I have to, I have to yeah. give it like a, it's on Netflix here, the old Battlestar Galactica, and we were watching, going, you know, it's cheesy as hell, but there's actually some pretty decent stories in here. There is actually, yeah. Funnily enough, yeah, I, I do still enjoy watching that now and again. But, uh, um, but even sort of like Doctor Who when it was set on contemporary Earth, if you take Pertwee um, mm-hmm. as a prime example, even then that you sort of like you were seeing like the fashions of the day. There's still something about it that it still doesn't date. Well, you don't see it doing much that's fashionable. They're hanging out in the military, or some guy with the ministry comes down and gives them a hard time, and that's so. It, it, even then, you're gonna, you know, by virtue of when it was made, you're gonna see that look in it, even though it's supposedly in 1980 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, but even it's still set in its own little world. You know what I mean? Like, it's always weird when Doctor Who isn't like, and there's a there's a Hartnell one where they go to a nightclub, and you're like, what the hell is this doing here? Like, oh yes, the war machines. Sense. Yes, yeah, indeed, exactly, yeah. exactly. Like. <laughs> It's always weird to see that. Like, um, I wonder if that'll be weird twenty years from now when you see a whole bunch of the London-based stuff in the Tenant and uh, more or less Eccleston era, which we don't see anywhere near as much of with Smith. So, no, that's true. That's true. It hasn't sort of got rooted in try to be rooted in reality quite so much now. I think it's a bit more. Would you say it's a bit more fairy tale with Matt yeah? Smith? And I, I, I could see why RTD did that. It made sense. Um, yeah. I mean, it made sense back in the old days too. Yeah, but. Uh, but you couldn't go go out and on location that much, you know. It was a big deal when you went to Paris for City of Death or whatever. Oh God, yeah, yeah. That was that was uh, very exotic to someone of my age at the time. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Whereas now it's not that big a deal. To, although then there's Invasion of the Dinosaurs where they actually did go out at like five in the morning to film a quote unquote deserted London, which looked fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it was, to, yeah unlike the rest of Invasion. Of the Dinosaurs. Yeah, no. <laughs> Oh, they got duped at that one, didn't they? So. But that's the, but that's the thing. Like those dinosaurs are terrible. I still love it. You know what I mean? Like if there's there's a sort of uh, fine line. It's kind of like CG in movies. It's like it's like it's either amazing or you just like out of hell with this. Whereas yeah. if you go 
if you go far enough in the bad, you're back to good. You know, and that's that's why I love stuff like those cheeseball dinosaurs and really bad model shots and all the rest of it. I say, what's your sort of take on when they had the DVD releases or say something like Invasion of the Dinosaurs? There was that rumor going around at the time they were going to do enhanced CGI effects for the dinosaurs. Um, <sighs> why? Why do? Why bother? Yeah, because I, I must admit, I would, I'd like to have seen what they could have done, but then again, everyone remembers it for that reason. Well, I mean, I got the, the Daleks specifically because they went out and they shot a bunch of stuff in 16 mil sort of to improve it. And they did improve it. And the first yeah. time you watch it, you're like, oh, this is really cool. But then I'm just going to go back to the old one and watch it that way anyway. You know, it's yeah. like it's like cool to see once. Thanks for the effort, guys. I'm glad you did that. And it's it's interesting you did. But at the end of the day, I kind of want to see the uh, the Daleks with the bad voices and, and you know, and the, and the one Dalek invading the Peace Summit and all the rest of it. That's it. And uh, I was going to say, the one thing they did cut out of that special edition was that Ogron, the actor – Going, um, no complications. Like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> they cut that bit out. That's the best bit in it. So <laughs> it's one of my favourite stories. But I always look forward to that particular line reading. I don't know why, but I love that one. That's yeah. one of my favourite uh, Dalek story for sure. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, so, is there any sort of pat- I know you don't particularly like Hartnell's era. I know sort of on RFS you've sort of been quite sort of critical about Hartnell. Ah, well, I just take a lot of stick for it. It's more like, <laughs> I'm really happy not to say anything, but the Hartnell defenders will jump down my throat. I, but, but, I mean, what is it? I mean, obviously, there's, you know, not everybody's going to like every single doctor that comes along. It's, you know, it's just a, you know, a fact of life. But um, what is it about Hartnell in particular? Is it uh, the, the sort of the, the glacial pace of the stories? Or... That's, that's definitely part of it. The, part, yeah. the problem is... Back in the old days, we would because we didn't have uh, anything but Tom Baker. We would go out and we'd find the books. And when I found out there was all these other doctors, I'm reading all the books from like the first and second and third doctor. So I'd already read all the stories, uh, the target novelization. So in my head, I had the greatest adventures ever with, especially mm. with Hart. And you know, it's with with Troughton. For some reason, I can just kind of accept it. But with, with Hartnell stuff, I had like Marco Polo, which I'll never see anyway. But, no. but you know, in my head, this is Lawrence of Arabia. And the sensorites look great. And the Keys of Marinus was unbelievable. <laughs> and then, and then uh, for whatever, Unearthly Child, I can sit through and thoroughly enjoy for some, for some reason. But, yeah. but, uh, but most of them, like I just was so crashingly disappointed with what was actually on the screen whereas versus what was in my head. It just, it just could never get, and then I just never got around to watching them again, you know, more or less. So, although yeah. I saw the War Machines for a little while, I've seen some for RFS, and the War Machines, eh, it's got its moments, and there's, there's a few other ones that have their moments too. Well, we, I mean, we, we a long time ago, we did a commentary for War Machines, and we had so much fun with it. We had so much fun with that episode, mainly because of that nightclub scene more than anything else. But well, and the robots that destroy tables. Yes, <laughs> yeah, nothing else. Just, and crates. A, Don't forget the crates. <laughs> oh yeah, vendetta against anything wood based. <laughs> Those are your brothers. What are you doing, guys? <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I can see why sort of people don't sort of you know want to go back to the old black and white. So usually it's the excuse because it's in black and white. Rather, I don't than, care about that. I mean, no, I, can, I don't. My no. favorite films is Seventh Samurai, which is like 1954 in Japanese, black and white, three hours long. Fantastic movie. Yeah, so, exactly. So you know, it doesn't really mess. Schindler's List, black and white, fantastic film. Yeah, like, deliberately yeah. black and white. It's not like they had options. So yeah. So really, that, that doesn't bother me at all. It's just half of Woody Allen's output, or you know, at a certain time. Yeah. So yeah. So what about sort of other media? Because obviously you've sort of um, got into the classics through through PBS and everything. But hmm. did you ever get into sort of like any, like the sort of reading material or say like the audio stuff like Big Finish, 
No, like I never did. And Chris has talked about this too. It's, yeah. It just wasn't audio. Like we had audio plays on our national broadcaster, but it was just kind of this thing that, you know, if you needed some money or an artist, you'd go do. It wasn't the big deal that it is in like almost, I think it's kind of an institution in, in England, right? Yeah. Comparatively yeah. speaking. And, and we just never had that. So audio plays didn't make sense as much for us. It's like, I could see why people got into it. And there's all this interesting story, but I just, for whatever reason, I just can't, I just can't commit to it. It doesn't feel real to me, which is kind of a stupid thing to say because none of it is, but, <laughs> but, but it just doesn't feel like proper who, although I'll read the comic books, you know, and I'll, I read the odd book that wasn't proper who, so who knows. Is that, is that because, because it's sort of, it's graphically represented to you rather than sort of like, you know, you're reading something, you have to sort of make up the pictures in your mind. Is, is it that that sort of, or you listen to something and you've got to make up those pictures. Is it, is it that, so no, because of what that, reading, I had no problem, right? Uh, so yeah. you theoretically shouldn't have a problem with this either. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't click. I, I wish I could tell you why. I should try. I really should try because there's some good stuff out there for what I can tell. Well, I know I know Stephen has tried and sort of because he, he was given a, a, a challenge, wasn't he, mm-hmm. by uh, James from the Doctor Who podcast. So um, I, I don't know how far Stephen got with that, but <laughs> I, I should be not I, very. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to speak for him, <laughs> which, which, which is probably a clue right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, so during sort of like the, I suppose you could say after the can, you know the cancellation that you know the fallow years as it were. Yeah. Um, actually, going back to the cancellation, do you see that was justified at the time? Uh yeah, because I mean I'm on record as not being the world's biggest fan of the McCoy era. I don't mind McCoy as a doctor, but I'm not a big fan of the era. Going back and watching some of the stuff now, I'm like, oh okay, I can see kind of what they were going with in here, and it's there's there's ambition there for sure. You know, as yeah. opposed to the first season of you know spoons and nonsense, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I could see why things were going like they. By the time they were sort of turning the ship around, it was kind of too late, and John Nathan Turner was stuck there, and he didn't want to be there. And if you know all the behind the scenes stuff, you're like, oh, yeah. I can see why this happened the way it did. And would they have been able to rescue it? I don't think so. And even if they did, would we have all the great stuff we have now? Probably not. So Probably it's kind of no. in a way, it's good that it got a rest. I mean, I didn't think so at the time, mind you. But. No, who did? Who did, actually? Yeah. It's just weird because everyone's sort of like, with, with stories like Ghost Light and Curse of Fenric, they thought, you know, Doctor Who's got his groove back for want of a, you know, yeah. a better expression. Well, I hated Ghost Light, and I still do to this day. Yeah, well, I, this is the weird thing, because I actually thought Ghost Light is a classic story, and I would sort of defended it. However, I've gone on record before saying that if you turned out, uh, or the BBC churned out a story like Ghost Light every week, people would stop watching, because the, oh, the, yeah. the casual viewer... It will make no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense anyway because there's a b- good portion of the story just didn't get recorded. It got you know, yeah. it got cut. Um, but not so long ago, we did a commentary for Ghost Light. And the end of it, I was just willing it to end. I, re- <laughs> I, re- I sort of, like, for God's sake, I get this over with. Um, so yeah, I can I can see why it's um, it's sort of you know it's it it did deserve a break. Probably not for as long as it it got the break no, for, exactly. but. You know, um, but it was just cool. circumstance too. Like, you know, nobody was watching it, and uh, I mean, it's weird now. I walk into our local. Well, actually, it's weird. I found a record store to begin with, but I walked into it, and there was Doctor Who stuff everywhere, and I'm like, what? Like, because this is not something you admitted to here. Like, and I'm assuming England too. Like, you you just didn't admit to being a Doctor Who fan back no. in the day. Like, oh no, and now not. and now it's this big hooray celebration thing, and I'm like. It, to the point where it's beating out, you know, Star Wars. And if you go to a convention here, you'll see way more people in Doctor Who outfits than Star Wars and Star Trek. Now, granted, it's a hell of a lot easier to dress up as a Doctor Who character, yeah. but but I was just like, that's weird. This is not the this is not the Doctor Who I grew up with. Why is it so popular with with the kid folk? I'm not complaining, but it's weird. 
I, yeah, I mean, I must have. I found it weird. I remember when I was a, a kid, they the, the actual the, the sort of the BBC News did a special article. I think on the first Doctor Who con- or big Doctor Who convention mm-hmm. in in um, in America, and they interviewed this guy dressed as Pertwee. But he, I mean, he had the, the costume he put together was absolutely fantastic. Um, but he also had a white wig on. I thought, okay, you you sort of you're going there. But then he put he stuck white and cotton wool to his eyebrows. <laughs> right, so I thought, okay, I do not remember John Pertwee looking like that. <laughs> no, no, sir. Definitely not. So, but even then, it did, it did sort of amaze me that, um, I say not amazed, but it just sort of, it, it pleased me that mm. it had sort of crossed the Atlantic. Um, and now it's absolutely, I mean, it's, how massive is it? On, on it's your pretty big. I mean, you've got people like what was there six thousand people in the in the room for Comic Con. Like I've the last Comic Con, well, the only Comic Con I've been to is uh, two thousand eight, and I walked into the Doctor Who room. I was able to do that. There, there's an example of how how it wasn't as big a deal back then. Yeah, uh, and there was maybe a thousand people, maybe like which is still a sizable bunch of people. But but now it's it's the Hall H is the big hall there, and it's huge, and there's like tons and tons of people in there, and. They were all there for Doctor Who. They waited a day for Doctor Who, which is why I laugh when when uh, there was a certain section of British fandom that was foaming at the mouth. Well, there always is, um, but <laughs> and here too. But but they were just ape over the fact that um that the people at the Comic Con at San Diego Comic Con got to see the trailer and they didn't. Um and they and they made it sound like everybody in America got to see the trailer. And I'm like, no, no, guys who waited you know two days to get into this thing got to see that trailer. So you know I didn't see yeah. it either. Uh, I as far as I know, it's not out there yet. So I. If you wait two days in line to see something that you love Doctor Who that much, you absolutely deserve to see it before anybody else. As far I, as I think so. I think so. I must admit, when when it was announced that trailer went out, I, I was um, slightly filled with with um, indignant anger to begin with. But then, <laughs> sort of, but then, um, as you say, I sort of sort of saw the situation. Now, as you say, it was just for the people at Comic Con. Um, yeah. But actually, as you saw on, on the subject of fans. Um, is it, does it sort of uh, disappoint you, sort of like the propensity for sort of Doctor Who fans to sort of constantly argue amongst themselves? I wonder, and I just don't know because I'm not really as anywhere near as deeply involved in any other fandom. Mm. It must be. It must be the same with other fandoms. They it, can't all it's get along. Yeah, I get a bunch of nerds in a room, and it's there's going to be tragedy, you know. Like, no matter what, <laughs> what they're into, I'm sure model train guys are the same way. Like, no, that's a two gauger. I'm probably I'm really annoyed to model train guy because I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but but I would I would assume all the you know minutia gets argued over endlessly there too, or like Civil War reenactors or whatever. Like, yeah. But we just because we happen to know this one inside and out, we see all this stuff. I think, yeah, but yes, I roll my eyes. I'm like, guys, come on, it's a TV show. Honestly, it's a TV show for kids that we happen to like. Is there really any need to let your blood boil about any of this stuff? Not really. <laughs> like, like I, I went on Gallifrey Base, and I've taken flack for making fun of Gallifrey Base, but this is what I saw: like page upon page upon page of people vehemently arguing with each other that no, the TARDIS has to. This is before name of the Doctor. The TARDIS has to look like the police box. No, it has to look like this. No, it has to look like that. And here's my twelve-page treatise as to why. And then <laughs> in two seconds, they show it as a cylinder, and I'm like, yes, yes, pages of Gallifrey Base destroyed in an instant. <laughs> there is a certain level of satisfaction when that happens, isn't there? <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Well, people. The problem is uh, a lot of nerds are very analytical, and so they come up with these very complicated, very you know confusing. Uh, ideas as to what's going to happen, and then they tend to forget that Occam's Razor is the number one thing you're going to like. It's a TV drama; you can't have a multi-page epic about why the TARDIS looks that way. It just no. has to be like that. But they forget that that's how drama works because they, you know, they're busy programming a computer where all this complication is actually rewarded, <laughs> as yes. opposed to. You know. And again, I'm betraying my ignorance because maybe maybe that's not how computers get programmed. Maybe not. Maybe not. I, I'm ignorant in that aspect as well, actually. So, um, but it, it just sort of. Um 
I mean, I must admit, I do tend to stay clear of forums for that reason. Yeah, I do too, because people yeah. just go crazy. Like, they get totally focused, and it's like, ah, guys, just go outside. Come on. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I do want to sort of sometimes just step in and say, you know, just watch the show. You know, yeah. it's great you talk about it, and it's it's amazing that there are so many people out there willing to talk about it now, because as you said earlier, um, it, it's you talked about Doctor in hushed tones. Mm-hmm. You, you would never speak about it in, in public. And now I'm, um, I mean, it's amazing now I can actually say, yes, I, I'm a Doctor Who fan. Also run a podcast to do with Doctor Who as well. That's, you know. Oh, that's... And you'll get, what's a podcast? That's exactly. Yes, I did get that, actually. I just say, it's like a radio show, for God's sake. So, um, but, I mean, when you started um, RFS, did you get the similar sort of response? As well? A, the sort of like, what what's, you know, probably from your side of the pod, what's Doctor Who? And also, what's a podcast as well? Um, so how what gave you the idea to do a podcast? So I've spoken to Stephen and, and Chris. How did you get into podcasts? They said, well, it's Warren. Yeah. So- <laughs> well, the way it worked is, and I, Stephen probably covered some of this, is we were working in the same television station, and we would sit yeah. there and talk about nothing but Doctor Who. when we were. There was a shift where you had television English and French, and it was kind of like the Cartoon Network for Canada. So, yeah. so because we've got you know Quebec, we would transmit in French on one room, and then we'd transmit in English in the other room. So you'd have two guys sitting next to each other, and sometimes – Coincidentally, we would sit together uh, and we would sit there and for eight hours straight, all we would talk about is Doctor Who, like the whole time, nothing but. Yeah. And so uh, after I'd, we got our separate ways and he was still working there and I wasn't, I said to myself, well, wait a minute, we could probably speak for an hour or so every week if we can do this eight hours on multiple days of the week uh, and, yeah. not get, and not get bored. So, so that's <laughs> how we started, really. We just, I just set up the, the computer end of it and uh, it sounds terrible so don't listen to them but uh, <laughs> but yeah we just we just decided well we can jabber on about Doctor Who no problem and we happened to be we weren't the first there was one Podshock was around before us and there was a, yep. a couple other guys um, uh, but we're the ones who kind of stuck with it basically and uh, and so yeah we just and we just kept at it week after week after week uh, because we figured well we like talking about Doctor Who who cares if anybody listens <laughs> so <laughs> it just kind of worked out that it did just have a process of attrition more than anything else but now there's a zillion Doctor Who podcasts well exactly yeah I mean it's um, I think on what was it on the podcast alliance is about well, 80 plus now wasn't there I or something yeah, people ask, have you listened to my podcast? I'm like, come on, how could I, man? Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> there's, there's, there's like tons and tons. Like people I've met at Gallifrey and I've gotten drunk with, I'll probably listen to your podcast. Yeah. That, that's that's pretty high bar to clear and why anybody should care if I listen to it in the first place, I have no idea. But 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 yeah, that's I, I, I think just a, I so I think it's probably because you, you are sort of like the, uh, I'm going to put it, I know I sort of embarrassed Stephen slightly when I, when I um, interviewed him, but you are sort of kind of the premier podcast now, aren't you, for Doctor Who? But only, like I said, process of attrition. <laughs> only out of sheer stubbornness. <laughs> well, and, so if, and the thing it, is, like, everybody's covering a different aspect, too. Like, Chip does a two-minute thing, and there's yeah. a book club, and the first project does sweary drunkenness very well. And yes, indeed, everybody's, everybody's got their own thing. So it's, yeah. there's, it's not like TV where there's actual competition. There really isn't any. People like to think there's competition. How, the internet's vast. There's room for anybody. Yeah. Like, People don't like us; they can listen to something else. People like us; they can listen to us and something else. It doesn't really matter, right? So, it is. It's a, it's a very open arena, really. Sort of Doctor Who. Well, I think podcasting generally, because as you say, you're not up against anybody ratings wise. There's no threat of cancellation. 
you can just continue dishing out what you want to dish out. Yeah, it costs next to nothing to do. And, and yeah. their thing is everybody can kind of go for the niche they're really interested in. So for us, it was always behind the scenes stuff. We were always interested in the writers and the directors and the producers and all that stuff. So yeah. we just happened to follow that because we happened to be interested. In and there were enough people out there who were also interested in that. That uh, yeah. you know. But we also tried to branch out a bit because like when we do our live show for Gallifrey, well, people want to see actors. So we're not going to, you know, say no actors, thank you. Like we're going to have <laughs> actors on because that's what people want to see, especially in a live venue. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, the, the things we said we would never do on our podcast and we're doing them now. So, um, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> as you sooner said, or later, you'll recant. Exactly. Never just, say anything. Exactly. Yeah. Never stick to a game plan. It just let it evolve and, and that's it. Yeah, really. exactly. It'll, it'll do what it wants to. That's so. it. Is there anywhere else you want to take the podcast? I know you did sort of video free Scaro. I um, did, but it was just so while. much work. Like I, I happen to have the gear and I was like, well, I'll give this a shot, but it was just a colossal amount of work. So that's why I ended up stopping doing it. Cause I just didn't have time with a full-time job and a bunch of other stuff on my plate. So, yeah, but now, now I'm doing even stupider stuff like the bookshelf doctors, which is basically a photo <laughs> comic because they're right there in front of me. And I'm like, well, what the hell I've got, I've got InDesign, I've got Photoshop. I, I've got a crappy camera on my phone. I've got a bunch of stupid action figures saying dumb things. Why the hell not? That's that I can actually pull off every once in a while. <laughs> So, so is there any, anything else you want to do with the podcast at the moment, and as as it is, is there any, any other directions or other avenues you want to explore with it? Ah, uh, you know, the thing is, if I did, I'd have to ask the other two guys anyway. Um, yeah, uh, but we we try to. The thing is, we do try to keep it fresh. If we sit there and we do the same thing over and over, well, what's the point? So we always try to think of new things we can do with it, and uh, and that's why, like, I'll try and do stuff like interview guys who do the comics and guys who do stuff that's not. Or Mike Tucker, the effects guy. We always try to think of. Who hasn't been covered here? And that's mm. increasingly getting difficult to do. But uh, but we do try to to try to get as many people, and not just you know high end people, but people like for instance one of the one of the uh, episodes that people love is when we actually interviewed the guy who was in charge of the PBS station. We watched his kids. People wow. just they, they thought it was great, and we actually had managed to get a hold of him. And people were like, "That's fantastic! I love that you guys went and did that." And we just kind of came up with it one day. We're like, "Well, why don't we try? What the hell? Yeah. It can't be that difficult." And it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. He was, and he was a very friendly guy. It was, it was most people are pretty, you know. Once you explain what the hell the deal is, they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure, fine, they're cool with it." Well, so I was just about to ask, actually, sort of, you know, when you're sort of um, interviewing or trying to set up interviews for um, for your podcast. I mean, how how long does it usually take? How many how many, so how many hoops do you have to jump through to, to, to book uh, someone? Know, it, it really depends, but most of the time, the thing about Doctor Who, and this struck me when I went to my first Gallifrey, was uh, I don't know how different this is than the rest of British TV, but it, with American television, because I had, when I went to Comic Con, I was doing it on the, at the behest of a television show here in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I had to book all these guests we could interview. Yeah. And it was just a tortured process to go through all the publicists and all the rest of it. Whereas with Doctor Who, you just email Phil Ford or whoever, and, and, and they go, oh, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. We'll do this like, you know, next week. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a writer, <laughs> but at the same time, it's. It, it is staggeringly easy in comparison. I was like, we just walked up to Phil Collins and I said, can we interview? He's like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, holy crap, that actually worked. <laughs> that's, that's right after he was a producer. So, you know, he was, you know, it was kind of a, a commodity of sorts at the time. Well, I'm sure he still is. But, still is, yeah. But whereas Doctor Who fandom, there's just way less of a separation between fan and, and quote unquote pro mm. than, than you see in other things, especially in the States where it's our, you know, States entertainment generally entertainment means the stage basically if more or less right there's just a, a lot more of a hierarchy there and a lot more hoops to jump through i've found almost always but not always it's super easy to get somebody to talk about because most people are fans anyway especially yeah. the writers oh god yeah yeah actually sort of um 
sort of like you interviewing people, I just sort of suddenly occurred to me. Have you ever had anybody sort of approach you and say, can you ask so-and-so this? No. Please. You know, weirdly enough, we haven't had that, actually, which is kind of shocking now that I think about it. Because but... I've, I've spoken to other podcasts where they sort of um, had interviews arranged. And um, when I was actually at the uh, convention in Cardiff last year, we're in sort of company of other podcasters, and because it was they were getting on the panel to interview Matt Smith, Karen, and Arthur, and, and, mm. and Steve Moffat, and um, so he was the guy was emailed to say, "Oh, can you ask um, Matt Smith to plug my podcast, please?" <laughs> yeah, I no. Yeah, like I'm going to ask you to plug someone else's bloody podcast. I mean, come on, <laughs> no, no kidding. <laughs> like, why would why would you put yourself on the line to do that? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any sense to me. No, I, we've, I don't think we've... We've had the other person email and say, we've got this project we're doing. Uh, could you talk about it? And yeah, we, we, if it's interesting enough, yeah, we'll talk about it. Mm. Um, but you, most of the time, we've never had anybody ask, can you ask this during an interview? Because we don't share who we're interviewing until it's done. So Yeah, that's probably a very, very wise move, actually. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Is there anybody left you want to interview? I've asked this question of Stephen and um, Chris as well. Is there, for you personally, is anyone you, you really do want to get on the show? I mean, other than the biggies, I'd love to interview Moffat or RTD for sure. Um, yeah. Trying to think of who else. Not really. We kind of covered a whole lot of the old school, old school guys. You have now. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are conveniently dead, which makes it <laughs> difficult to interview them. Um, That's a pretty steep way to get up being interviewed, really, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, it's, you go to Gallifrey and they're pretty much all there and they're all happy to be interviewed. So we've kind of yeah. been able to cover a ton of people. Um I'll probably think of somebody right after we're done, but I can't think of anybody at the moment. <laughs> Tom Baker, I'd love to talk to Tom oh. Baker, if only because he's a freaking maniac. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he, oh, yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic, wouldn't it, really? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. All I'd have to do is say, hello, Tom Baker, and just let him go off for like a half hour. Exactly. That's and what winding, you, winding the key up and off he goes, really. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Brilliant. So, um, obviously, sort of, sort of last question, really, uh, Warren, is mm-hmm. we, we got Matt Smith leaving. He's starting filming his last episode this week this weekend as as we as we recalled um and we've now got peter capaldi uh taking over um i mean what what's your i know you've already said this in rfs but i mean what mm. what's your what's your view what sort of direction do you think it will go in there with an older actor well i i, I am definitely interested in that because I, I people are like oh they're gonna lose the fangirls i mean well first of all are they we have no idea and secondly i don't think they decide the show based on what what a certain section of people that that like it you know, that's a dumb way to decide a show. Like mm. you're gonna decide what's best for the show first, and then if people come along, great. It's also people tend to forget this is a show that's funded by the BBC. It's not like ratings actually matter all that much. No. Uh, uh, I want to see. I like the fact that you can't really do the um, moon-eyed, moon-eyed companion over the Doctor thing anymore without it being slightly creepy. So, although they might, who knows? You see plenty of movies where Sean Connery and what's her name, um, Catherine Zeta Jones, Jones, yeah. And I'm like, really? All that tells me that guys in Hollywood think that's normal. <laughs> like, some executives are like, well, of course she's 25 and he's 80. <laughs> like, yeah. like, so they probably won't do that with this. And I would, it would be interesting to see kind of more an old school doctor where it's like he's leading them off in an adventure in the university. He's more of a fatherly figure hmm. in theory, or he could be a real jerk. Who knows? Like, well, I don't want. Yeah. I, I, I almost kind of look forward to. You saw those Malcolm Tucker mashups, right? I yeah. kind of want to see that. I'm not gonna, but I kind of want to see that. <laughs> so, do you think? I mean, as you mentioned, like the fangirls, because it, it did get a little bit silly. Um, I thought I thought it was kind of which in which direction? Because I thought it was kind of ridiculous. For people to go take off fangirls. I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. People like Doctor Who. You can't just, you know, it's not, it's not our own little club anymore. 
No, exactly. And when it was, it wasn't all that pleasant anyway. So what the hell? Are we, what, what are we holding on to here? Well, Past no, trauma? exactly. This is this is what um, amazes because it was a predominantly middle-aged men uh, who sort of you know remembered Doctor Who from their youth, and they sort of saw it as their sort of their divine right. So it was only they could watch the show and have an opinion about it. Yeah, and which think, is kind of ridiculous. Well, yeah, well, actually, kind of. It's totally ridiculous. And I know they hated the sort of like, I know it's described as like that soap opera element that RTD introduced when yeah, it came back I, in 2005. I, but but I, I always felt that that was kind of a necessary evil. It you know? was. You, had, you yeah. had to go somewhere new with this show, and that was a good way to do it. So Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that we're going to, do you think it, we will lose those those fangirls? Because it, it does seem to be they sort of target those people who are so, well, you only watch it because you fancy Matt Smith or you fancy David Tennant. You, you're not watching it for you know I, Doctor Who. See, I don't, I don't, I don't buy the people. I'm sure there's a tiny segment of people who who, who do that. Yeah, but I, like it's like people will tell me, oh, you've got to watch Transformers because Megan Fox is really hot. I'm like, that's not a good enough reason to sit through two and a half hours of Michael Bay. No, <laughs> like, no. like, come on, yeah, yeah, she's a stunning looking lady. So what? You know, like, and I'm pretty sure everybody else is as rational as I am about that. I, I can't see because you're kind of wasting your time. If, the only reason you're watching this is because Matt Smith is a fetching bit of crumpet like so so i i don't buy that that's a reason people like that's kind of that's making fangirls quote-unquote sound a lot more simple-minded than they probably are yeah right so yeah. so sure will some people leave they made because because they like matt smith's doctor better or they don't like peter capaldi is whatever they do with it right mm. but i'm sure people left because of matt smith as opposed to david Tennant, and i'm sure people left because they liked eccleston better so you know there's well, always gonna be somebody who takes off well yeah exactly my um my niece to use an example i mean she loved david Tennant. In Doctor, and she when she, that's how she first got into it. She then started watching the Eccleston stuff. But when Matt Smith came along, she didn't want to watch it anymore. Yeah. Well, well, once David Tennant had gone, that was that was hit for her. She was she wasn't interested. Um, and yeah, she did. I mean, she was. I mean, she's what she'll be thirteen next month. But mm-hmm. at the time, she was very young. She did have a bit of a crush on David Tennant, but she also loved the stories. And and I must admit, I do get that from my my wife as well. She thinks Matt Smith is a good actor. But she doesn't like the stories now, therefore she doesn't watch it. The the other thing is like okay, so maybe they like fangirls for lack of a better term, fanboys as well. Maybe they leave. There's a new generation of kids who are going to look at this as you know the grandpa and the TARDIS, and they're going to like it for that reason. Like you know, yeah. There's 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 always going to be a new batch of kids who like it for whatever reason. Kids like this stuff, right? Precisely. So yeah, and you know, somebody leaves. Well, they're you know maybe they turned eighteen and they discovered something more interesting, going out and getting drunk, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, people, people are going to come and go from the show just because, and our diehards will stick around forever and, and yeah. form these calcified opinions about it <laughs> that really have no basis in fact. So, no, not whatsoever. And also, at the end of the day, who cares? Just watch the show you like. Does it really matter if anybody else watches it? I mean, exactly. I guess in the grand scheme of things it does, but this is not, it's not your problem. It's some BBC controller's problem, not yours. Yeah, precisely. I know we sort of, like, I, I sort of, here I've sort of led the questions down to bashing fandom. It's not the point at all. Ah, it, it's, that very, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very small section that has a very, very loud voice. Yeah, exactly. I think. exactly. And, we, and we all get sort of tarnished to a certain degree with the, uh, you know, with, with that same brush. So it's... Um, yeah, but we also yeah. we also tend to listen to it more. People people in the outside world, i.e. almost everybody, don't care about any of this stuff. No, <laughs> like, no. They... they you say Doctor Who, they either think David Tennant, or maybe they think Matt Smith, or maybe they think Tom Baker, depending on how old they are. And that, oh, that guy with the scarf, or you know, that guy with the suit, and that's as far as it goes. And then they're off doing something else because it really yeah. isn't that important. That's right. That's right. So as you say, as long as people keep watching it for whatever reason, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. It, and w- sitting there and worrying about it is uh, it's, it's a you know, it's a, I guess it's a fun thought exercise, but it really doesn't come amount to anything. No, it doesn't, does it? Apart no. from apart from sort of make the hair fall out or have a heart attack or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. i got other things to worry about. Yeah, precisely. 
Plus, I've got not much of the hairs left to fall out anyway. Yeah, so. and I've got none either. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm you are. Long since gone. Indeed, indeed. So, I think on that on that uh, hairless note, um, let's. Uh, I think we'll sort of wrap this up now. Warren, thank you so much for joining oh, me no today. Problem. Absolutely fantastic having you on. Oh, thanks. listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who podcast alliance.